Okay, so uh, today I would like to kind of continue what I talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. This will stand alone well enough. If you want to hear the first part of what I'm talking about today, you can find Where the Battle Runs Thick in any podcast app, and that's where my, um, my Sunday presentations are put up. That's Where the Battle Runs Thick. Um, you can listen to last week's on there. But so today is Resist the Devil, part two. Last week we talked about the fight against sin and hanging in there because God promises you resist the devil and he will flee. So the fight that we fight is a fight with a promised conclusion if we don't surrender. The only way the devil can defeat a Christian is if the Christian surrenders because God promised if we resist the devil, he will flee. But we don't know how long we're going to have to resist. We might have to hang in there for a while before that victory comes and we can do so with hope in the promises of God, okay? So that's a brief summary of what we talked about last week. So today's part two, and I want to open up with an analogy from a film that is just a good picture of when we're resisting the devil, of continuing that good fight. And then I want to talk about, I want to make it a little more practical. Last week we were pretty... um, pretty theoretical, pretty abstract about how we're supposed to think. I want to see if we can drill down to a little bit more practical application. So uh, last, last night I saw a film called Warrior. A lot of you will be familiar with it. It's a martial arts movie. Okay. And one of, the, one of the parts that just sticks in my head as an analogy of spiritual warfare is that there's, there's a particular part where the, the underdog – the underdog hero is fighting against this, you know, massive, experienced, professional combatant. And the, the, the person he's fighting against has him in a chokehold. And his coach is on the side of the ring saying, don't tap. Don't you tap. Which if you know martial arts, tapping means I give up. I give up. I lose, I lose the match. And because he doesn't tap, he doesn't give up. He makes it the, the last 15 seconds of the round. The round is over, and he continues on to continue the fight and eventually win because he did not give up. He hung in there. Well, I like to think of spiritual warfare. I mean, there's so many analogies for spiritual warfare, right? You can pick actual warfare, you know, medieval combat. You can even pick things like farming, and it's full of analogies for the Christian life. But when it comes to martial arts, there's a lot of really good analogies there. For when we are in combat, in spiritual warfare, and if I may anthropomorphize with great honor and respect and reverence to the Holy Spirit, in a way you can envision the Holy Spirit as our coach, who's on the side, giving us counsel. I mean, praise God, the Holy Spirit's really not on the side, right? The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit is giving us the strength to carry on. But in the analogy, the Holy Spirit is our coach on the side saying, hang in there, keep up the good fight. Don't give up, don't give in to sin, resist the devil, and he will flee. So, what does that look like practically? It's one thing to say, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. This is the the theoretical stuff we're supposed to think about. But what does that look like practically as we apply it in the day-to-day fight against sin? So, as we go to talk about the practical applications, I want each of us to think about what is... What are your top three? What are your top three sins that you find yourself in the ring with? Because everybody seems to have a propensity towards a certain thing. For some people, gambling is a huge temptation. 
For some people, alcohol is a huge temptation, right? There's all sorts of temptations out there. Not everybody is equally tempted to everything, but we all have temptations. We all have weak spots in our souls. And it's good for us to to recognize what those are so that we can be on guard against attacks from that direction. So I want to talk about putting off and putting on. And where does that come from? That comes from Colossians chapter 3. And I know I talked about this passage recently. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So, that's the foundation for all Christian spiritual warfare, is that you have to first be alive. You have to have been raised up with Christ. You have to have come to know Christ through the gospel to where you have a new spirit. If you haven't gotten that step down, you can hang up the rest. Dead people don't win fights. You have to be alive first. And that's a work that only God can do. So once you've done that, then we're supposed to what? Keep seeking the things above. Set our minds on the things above. Now, oftentimes, in the fight against sin, the temptation is to stare at the sin. The temptation is to dwell on the sin, to dwell on the temptation, to dwell on the guilt, to dwell on the failure, to dwell on how bad I am and how much I don't measure up. Is there some, is part of that true and good? Yeah, I mean, you can't repent if you don't recognize that you've got a problem. I think, is, isn't it Alcoholics Anonymous or one of those self-help programs, like step one is recognize that you have a problem, right? We can't repent if we don't think we have anything to repent of. So th- there's an extent to which that's valid. You have to recognize, okay, this is sin, it's ugly, it's evil, and I need Jesus to forgive me and to deliver me, okay? But the temptation is to just stay there, to just stay meditating on and, and wrestling with and just trying not to tap, so to speak. And that's, that's good as far as it goes. The only problem is if all you ever do is try not to tap, eventually you're going to lose. Because that's not how you win a fight. Eventually, the guy that's on top of you trying to choke you out is going to wear you out. We're not called to just sit there in miserable, agonizing, internal dialogue against sin. So what do we do? How do you get to that point where you have gotten out of the chokehold of sin and you flip the guy over and now you're on top and you're winning the fight? I would say here's one of our clues from Scripture. Keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If we just focus on not setting our mind on the things on earth, but we don't focus on setting our mind on things above, that's like, this is an analogy from Dad, from a conversation we had this week. It's like if you have a container, and let's say the container is full of, of nasty stuff. It's, just, it's, gar- it's like oil or something dirty and nasty. Like a big old, okay, small, a soda can. We can all envision a soda can, okay? Soda can, and it's full of of nasty stuff, right? Well, you want to get the nasty stuff out. So you you get the nasty stuff out, and then you put the soda can far enough down underwater where the pressure gets heavy enough, and it's going to crumple. Unless you've put something else in to where there's an internal resistance that can push against the pressure coming from the outside. It's the same way for us in spiritual warfare. It's not enough to get the nasty stuff out 
We have to get the good stuff in. It's not enough to not think of the things that are on earth. We have to set our mind on the things above. If we don't do that, then we just get locked in this indefinite guilt struggle thing. Of, well, I'm not going to set my mind on things of earth. I'm not going to set my mind. No, I don't want to set. No, 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 no things of earth. No things of earth. I'm not thinking about things of earth. What are you thinking about? Things of earth. You're just thinking about how much you're not going to think about the things of earth. Well, it's, you're, still, you're still just trying not to tap at that point. So how do you flip it over? How do you break out of that? Set your mind on the things above. You have to not just put off, but also put on. Colossians 3, and I'm kind of skipping through this. This is verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So you're not just putting off the sin. You're putting on this new self, this new Christ-like you. The In Christ, this is, this is true authenticity. This is really being truly yourself in Christ. Not truly your, your old man. Not truly the Gabe without Jesus. I don't want to be him. He's not, he's not a good guy. I want to be Gabe in Jesus. So then what are we supposed to put on? Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. I'm not going to read the whole list because it continues basically the rest of the chapter. He starts with these broad things that we're all supposed to do, and these are elements of of love and forgiveness and patience, very other-focused. And then he even moves into family relationships, wives, be subject to your husbands, husbands, Love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters. He's applying this in all these different areas. This is what we're supposed to put on. So as we put off the sin, we put on the Christ-like alternative. So now we go back to the beginning question. Have you identified your opponents in the ring? What are your sins? What are your weak areas? If you're going to go to therapy and you have, say, say a, a muscle, you have an injury that you need to strengthen that area, it's not going to do you any good if you don't know where you got the injury, right? If you're on a battlefield and you don't know where to direct your fire, then it doesn't really matter how many bullets you're sending if you're sending them in the wrong direction. So who is, what is your weak spot, your temptation? I'm going to try to get practical with a couple of applications and hopefully they will at least kind of be, be helpful and, and translate to whatever it is that might be, might be yours. But that's the goal, right? We want to apply biblical truth, not just keep it in our heads, but drive it into our hearts and apply it in our hands, okay? So I want to look at a couple practicals. Um, first, I want to talk about the difference between Proverbs 7 and Titus, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5. This is specifically with with application to the sin of lust, but it really applies to any sin that we're fighting. We have a propensity to try to defeat sin by getting rid of temptation instead of by replacing sin with righteousness. And you'll see what I mean. 
But I want to talk about the difference between Proverbs 7 and 1 Timothy 5. Proverbs 7, you're probably familiar with. That's the exhortation by the author of Proverbs to his son. And he talks about the foolish young man who wandered down into the area where the woman of the night dwells. And he walked right by her house and he, he, he set himself up for sin. He should have recognized, I'm going to take the long way around. I'm going to go around the other, you know, the other side of the city. I'm going to walk two extra blocks so I don't have to go past that house because I know who lives there. I know what goes on there. And that's just putting myself in the way of temptation. So scripture tells us, don't just, don't, don't be flippant with sin. Don't take it lightly. Whatever your occasion to sin, if you're tempted toward alcoholism, if you have a real strong temptation towards drunkenness, you probably shouldn't go hang out at bars. That's just being honest with our sin nature. If you have um, really strong temptations towards gluttony, you probably shouldn't go to the Golden Corral. Right? Uh, so pick, pick, your, pick your poison and apply it to yourself. Pick your sin and apply it to you. Um, I, I would just straightforwardly say, if you're a man, you shouldn't walk by the house of the Proverbs 7 woman. Because God has given us all a propensity to be tempted there. That said, are there some, are there some guys, I mean, I've heard of guys who just like have a burden on their heart to go and minister in area, you know, brothels or whatever. Well, you know what? God bless you. Take some accountability. If that's where the Lord is leading you, amen. But even then, you still would want to set up safeguards, right? right. You're not, I'm going to go hang out at the brothel at, you know, midnight on Friday night by myself. No, that's not, that's not the right way to do it. I'm going to take some other brothers. We're going to hold each other accountable. Maybe I'm going to go with my wife. Maybe God has called us to minister together, right? So you would still set up accountability. I want to distinguish that, though, from 1 Timothy 5, which talks to, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy on how to interact with the younger women. He says, it's just kind of in passing, to interact with the younger women as sisters in all purity. It's actually in the context of rebuking them, right? Rebuke them as sisters in all purity. So do your pastoral duty toward the young women in the church as sisters in all purity. You'll notice that Paul doesn't say, stay away from those young women because you might get tempted. Okay, so you see, do you see the distinction? Proverbs 7 is stay away from gross temptation to sin. Don't be a fool. Don't take your, your sin nature lightly. But if we're not careful, we wind up with this attitude of kind of, I'm just going to avoid all occasions to sin, all temptations to sin, and that's how I'm going to be holy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. I'm just going to stay away from everything. I'm going to live in a little holy bubble so that sin doesn't touch me, and then I'll be holy. That's not how we fight sin. In fact, that makes us all the more susceptible to sin. Because once you start thinking about sin that way, you get this appeal of the forbidden thing going on. You get this, um, these legalisms that I've set up of don't touch, don't taste, don't. And so now anything that comes up, like, oh, oh, temptation. Oh, oh, no, I can't, I can't have that. I can't think that. It makes me think of, uh, there's a comedy, a YouTube comedy channel called Studio C. They have this episode where uh, one of the characters, this, this young woman, every is a comedy sketch. Every man she meets, she's like at some sort of party, get together. Every man she meets, she's like, I have a boyfriend to every single man she meets. Doesn't matter what he does, he just says hi or whatever, introduces himself. I have a boyfriend. We can get like that with our sin. We can get like that with whatever our, our struggles, our temptations are to where any occasion that even reminds me remotely of the thing that I struggle with, 
Oh, I can't, I can't go there. I got to be holy. What is that? That's just putting off. That's just putting off. I'm going to try and get away from everything so that I don't get caused to stumble. Now, this is not to say that there aren't times where you recognize I'm prone to alcoholism. I'm staying away from bars. Okay, that, amen. That's appropriate. There are times we have to recognize our weakness. But even then, that's, still, that's more of a Proverbs 7 category, right? But from a 1 Timothy 5 mindset, we want to put on what is good. So, we're following we're, analogy one of lust. You put off the extreme occasions to sin. Absolutely, avoid them like the plague. If you need to go Kirk Cameron and take your computer in the front yard and smash it with a baseball bat, do it. Do what you got to do to get free of sin. But don't stay there. Don't just be like, I'm never going to talk to women ever again. That's not Christian. Jesus wants us to love others. I can't love them if I can't speak to them, right? I can't love them if I can't even look at them and think of them as a person made in the image of God because I'm so tied up in internal dialogue that I can't handle it like a Christian. So what does God say? He says, put on love. So I'm going to put off my sin, but I'm not just going to sit in internal dialogue for three hours arguing with my sin. I'm going to put on, how does Jesus want me to do this? Okay? Now let's apply it to some other sins and maybe make it a little more practical. Something like anxiety. Firstly, you have to recognize that anxiety is a sin. Anxiety is kind of a popular thing nowadays to just be okay with. I'm just stressed. I'm just having a bad day. I'm just, I, I've got a lot going on in my life right now. I just, I'm, it's, and oh okay I'm sorry you're stressed now I'm not saying that it's like wrong to be stressed in the sense of yeah we all have hard days amen the question is how do we deal with that are we just comfortable with living under this cloud of anxiety because that's not what God calls us to God calls us to joy Jesus says do not worry so what is the put off and put on that Jesus gives us he says don't worry about your life your food your clothing tomorrow all these things don't worry about any of that but Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. What is that? That's set your eyes on things above. Jesus says, don't, anxiety, do, seek first the kingdom of God. Do trust your Father to provide. So if you struggle with the sin of anxiety, recognize it, and rather than hanging out and dialoguing with it for five hours, replace it. Say, no, Lord, I repent. Please forgive me for my anxiety. But I'm not going to sit here and say, please forgive me for my anxiety for five hours. I've been forgiven for my anxiety. Jesus took it to the cross. So now, Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for supplying all of my needs. I'm not even going to think about this anymore. I'm going to go pull weeds. Go do something. Go do something in the name of Christ, something that's kingdom advancing. Put off, put on. Anger. Anger is a good one to make practical. Why do we get angry? James 4, 1 and 2. The lusts of our hearts. I want a nice peaceful evening at home and my child is having a bad attitude. Is it too much to ask to just have a quiet evening at home? Okay, recognize I have an idol in my heart. That's why I'm angry. Because I wanted a quiet evening at home and instead I need to be teaching and training my child. Okay, repent of my idol. Now I'm going to put that off and I'm going to put on what? I'm going to spend a few minutes in prayer and meditating about the fact that this, this, this child has an eternal soul and I want this child to grow up and remember daddy as the daddy that looked at him lovingly and disciplined him patiently 
And this is what God has called me to do. And so I'm going to go do it. Don't spend three hours wrapped up in in anger and frustration. I say this not because I'm good at it, (laughs) but because I need it. Because it's biblical. Because God doesn't call us to waste his time. And we're so prone to wasting his time. To get locked up in whatever our pet sin is. And then you wind up three hours later. And now not only do you have guilt for the sin you committed, you also have guilt for wasting three hours of the day. Instead of, at the beginning, repent, put off, put on. To go back to the martial arts analogy, how ready are you to win the fight after three hours of just not tapping? After three hours of being under the weight of the chokehold and just barely not tapping? By that time, you're exhausted. It's going to be a lot harder. Scripture talks about abandoning the quarrel before it breaks out. So applying this to anger, you want to have a fight with your spouse? Recognize, do I want to spend the, the last half of my Saturday mad at my spouse? Do I want, is it really worth the peace of our home? No, it's not. And then right there, immediately, pull the weed while it's small. Get on top. Win the fight at the beginning by putting off, by putting on. Keep our eyes on the prize. So what is the prize? And this is something we all have to pray and drill down to in our hearts. What is it that we really want? If the lusts of our heart are what cause us to be angry, be anxious, be lustful, be gluttonous, be greedy. I mean, there's another one, right? If you're, if you're prone to greed, money, 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 money. Okay? Put, put off greed and put on what? Okay, Lord, who can I give to? Amen. Scripture even tells us that if him who steals, steal no more. Instead, go work, go earn some money so you can get. It's not just stop stealing and just walk around thinking, oh, I can't, I can't steal, I can't steal. I mean, there are people that, it seems kind of silly to most of us because we're not kleptomaniacs. There are people who genuinely struggle with not stealing stuff. Like they compulsively want to steal stuff. What is the biblical exhortation? It's not spend your whole day thinking, I can't steal stuff, I can't steal stuff. I want to steal that so bad, but I'm not allowed to. No, it's don't steal, go work and then give. Put off, put on. So whatever your sin is, put off, but then put on the alternative. Fill that void. Fight in the positive and not just in the negative. One other analogy, and I'm going to wrap up real quick. But one other analogy I heard recently was uh, about a man who, had, who was with his son in the store at uh, like a checkout lane where there are all sorts of magazines with all sorts of inappropriate pictures and the son said, you know, looked away from a magazine with an uh, inappropriately dressed lady on it. And he says, uh, the dad asked him about it or something. And the son said, well, I'm not looking at her because she's ugly. And the father said something to the effect of, no, she's not ugly. She's just not for us. And he turned the magazine around. You see, you see the change in perspective there? Instead of the, oh, no, got to keep it at arm's length because it's bad and it's going to make me sin. It's more of a loving perspective. No, she's not ugly. She's made in the image of God. But we're going to respect her and we're going to turn the magazine around and focus on our, our duty as godly men. Very different perspective. And you just took away the, the appeal of the forbidden. Because now, no, we're thinking in terms of love. She's a person. No, we don't need to make all sorts of you know, bad adjectives about her in our mind. No, she's a person made in the image of God. We respect her. She's not ours. We're just going to give her some privacy. 
coming from a place of love. Okay, so here's one more practical application, and this one's for anger. You want to defeat your anger, pray about what is really important to your heart. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, or the section in 20, I'm skipping down to 26. Jesus says, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. If our hearts are battle-focused, if our hearts are rejoicing in the Lord, if our hearts are finding their joy and satisfaction in Jesus, like the psalm that we heard this morning, then our highest aspiration is to be like Jesus. Our highest goal is to seek first the kingdom of God. And if that's where we're at... If I go into the situation with an attitude of, I want to serve, I want to lay my life down for my wife, I want to lay my life down for my kids. Now you're putting on. Now you're walking into it with your eyes set on the things above. Got an annoying sibling that always makes you lose it. You got a predictable fight that you always have with your spouse. You fill in the blank, right? Then set your mind on things above. I, do, do I want to be like Jesus? Is that really what I'm here for? Is that really my goal? If my goal really is to be like Jesus, then he gave me a super, super easy way to do so. He said, I came down to serve. Now you do that too. Amen. You want to be practical. I mean, if, if, we, if we really want to be like Christ, if we really want to store up treasure in heaven, that's easy. Right. It's so easy. Jesus said, this is all you have to do. Go get your wife a glass of water. Go change your kid's diaper without complaining about the fact that nobody else is changing the kid's diaper. Go bless that annoying sibling. Go give that annoying sibling a stick of gum. Whatever. Go love. Back to Colossians 3. Put on love. It's really not that hard. It's only hard because of our flesh. And as we make war on that flesh, let's just remember not to do it with this attitude of being afraid of sin because sin's out to get us. Sin is out to get us, but we've been bought with a price. Sin has lost, no longer has power over us. So therefore, instead of having an attitude of fear, we fight with an attitude of faith in the Savior, putting on what is good. Not just hiding from the bad, but going out and conquering in the name of Christ. There is great joy there. There is great victory there. And it's our inheritance as children of the King.